Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the 425 Show, your place to be for all things real estate and lifestyle related here on the East Side. I'm your host, Nicole Mangina with Windermere Real Estate. It's Tuesday before Thanksgiving. Uh, busy week for lots of people, different week for lots of people. So I hope whatever your week looks like, it's filled with gratitude and um, some good time. Is your week. turkey thawing out already? You know, I am. Um, uh, so truth, uh, truth I told, I'm a vegetarian, which means I usually mess it up. So be tofurkey. <laughs> So I actually order the turkey pre-cooked and pre-sliced and everything cool. from somewhere else. I'm just going to go pick it up tomorrow, and then I heat it up on Thursday, and everybody's much happier. So someone else I... thought it for you. Right, yeah. right. That's okay. <laughs> hey, job gets done no matter what. Yeah. So uh, the turkey will be awesome. Nice. Thanks to not me. <laughs> Do you have a special dish that you usually uh, make yourself or that you uh, request every uh, holiday or year? Yeah, you know, my mom always makes this cranberry sauce that to oh. me, like, that's my mm -hmm. dish. It's not Thanksgiving without cranberry sauce. Right. Um, and it's funny, it's a little different than normal cranberry sauces. And, you know, when we would do the big Thanksgiving with my husband's family, I would watch people take some. I'm like, you're not going <laughs> to like it. You're just trying to be polite. Like, just leave it because I want the leftovers. <laughs> oh, you're one of those. You like the leftovers more than anything. I love Thanksgiving leftovers, like oh, yeah. mashed potatoes and cranberry sauce are my favorite things of all time. They're the best. I'm a sweet potato guy, like not too many in my family do. So I actually make my own little dish, like the, even smaller than like the eight by eight, like even a little, like barely baby casserole dish. And yeah. I serve it up and it's usually like one other scoop is like taken out and I'm like, good, more for me when I come home too. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> and so while we're on that, Let's introduce our guest today. We'll find out her favorite Thanksgiving stuff. Yay. Yay. We've got Haley Shapley with us, the author of Strong Like Her. Um, she's an author. She's got an amazing book. And we're going to dive into all that. But first, apparently, we need to know what your favorite Thanksgiving food is. It's not Thanksgiving without what? Mashed potatoes, <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. Oh, And do you make your own mashed potatoes? I do sometimes, yes. When my whole family's together, I probably won't make them this year because I don't need a whole vat of mashed potatoes, but. You say yeah. that now. Yeah, that's true. I'll probably change my mind. Come Boom. <laughs> potatoes are the best. Yeah, and, and like they're just perfect reheated. You can just keep eating them, so. Yeah, see, yeah. I think you should. You make a little that. <laughs> that's awesome. When, uh, so when I get stressed because I don't cook a lot, I, um, you know, I have a recipe for everything. And this is our first Thanksgiving after our oldest son was born. We have like 20 people at our house and my one of whom is my grandmother, who is German. And she's like, hey, honey, can I help? Yeah, grandma, can you make the mashed potatoes? Here's the recipe for them. And oh, my goodness, the poor woman. She's like, where have we failed you that you need a recipe for mashed potatoes? <laughs> <laughs> so she's like i'm good it's okay <laughs> and they were amazing <laughs> all right let's dive into your book because it's a great topic and one i'm super interested in um again we've got Haley shapley with us or shapley with us on the show today she is the author of strong like her it's all about the rule breakers history makers and unstoppable women athletes such a good topic. So thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Um, you are a writer by trade, and this is your first book 
that you published, correct? Correct. What inspired you to write this book? I had a few different inspirations. I started strength training a few years ago, and I felt like everywhere I looked, I was seeing women lifting weights and getting involved in sports like powerlifting and CrossFit and American Ninja Warrior. And I wanted to know how that had evolved and whether there were other points in history where women were really pursuing physical strength. So I started to read a lot about um, the history of fitness. And in those books, there was very little content about women. I knew that there had to be interesting stories um, of women pushing their athletic potential since the beginning of time. So I set out to kind of uncover and tell those stories. I love it. That's great. Um, I mean, this whole topic fascinates me. Um, a, being a woman, B, being somebody who's into athletics and working out. And then, you know, you talk, you have even some notes on your website about just thoughts about women and um, the way people used to view women that, you know, were the weaker sex and can't um, really do much of anything. And yet we've been having children since the beginning of time. Right. <laughs> The majority of that unaided without medication or drugs. <laughs> yes. No, it's amazing how much women's bodies have been like misinformation about them have been used to keep them out of athletics when mm -hmm. women are incredibly capable of doing amazing things like giving birth. Um, but there's from, we see from an early era there, there are just a lot of myths about what women are capable of. Um, when women first started riding bicycles in the late 1800s, you know, they were told that it could cause collapsed uteruses and contracted vaginas, and no one seemed to be worrying about the men and what might happen to them. Um, so it's, it's interesting, and we see those types of ideas actually uh, permeating into uh, modern day more than you might imagine with just people thinking that um, women are weak. And I started training for a bodybuilding show a couple of years ago, which is what really kind of inspired me to do the book. And a lot of people would say like, don't get hurt, you know, don't lift too heavy. Um, and so there's still a lot of concern about how women use their bodies. Interesting. Uh, you mentioned the bicycle thing. That's, that's pretty funny. If you really <laughs> think about it, <laughs> what are some of the other things that you found to be so interesting and just kind of mind-blowing <laughs> there you know the whole book is filled honestly with like really interesting mm -hmm. tidbits that I found and I pulled all of those out of history so I did a ton of reading in order to find the things that I thought would would resonate with people um, I think another interesting topic that I cover is the evolution of women's swimwear and and being Oh, yeah. just even allowed to swim. So there was unfortunately um, a big tragedy in the early 1900s in New York where many women and children died in, um, in a boat uh, that caught on fire oh. uh, in a tugboat disaster. And sorry, not a tugboat, but a boat disaster. And it was because women at the time didn't know how to swim because they had to wear so much fabric like on the beach or um, for their swimwear, it was like seven to 10 yards of wool or flannel. They were expected to wear booties and puffy sleeves and um, a belt. And it, even women who wanted to learn how to swim were like, that, that sounds dangerous. So a lot of them didn't learn how. Um, 
But in the early 1900s, we see that the swimsuit starts to evolve, thanks in large part to a swimmer named Annette Kellerman, who had come over from Australia, where swimsuits for men and women were very similar. So she was unused to this idea that women needed to wear all of this stuff in order to get into the water. And um, as she starts revolutionizing the swimsuit to look more like what it looks like today, to be form-fitting and buoyant and all of that, um, there's a lot of reaction from people who don't want that to happen. And so one of the fun facts I think is they used to have these beach tailors who would be on the beach and they would have like a sewing kit with them and they would um, create a longer skirt or sew up a little hole in the arm so you weren't showing as much skin on the spot in order to keep keep everyone on the beach in check. And by everyone, I mean, mostly women, they were trying to regulate their their outfits on the beach so um that was an interesting thing i learned that i did fascinating <laughs> yeah and i'm a swimmer that's you know my go-to i do lots of different things for exercise but swimming is my my thing um so yeah i would i mean you would have to be an olympic swimmer just to probably keep your head above water <laughs> It was, on. it was really difficult. And the early swimmers were a super interesting group because they were women who weren't afraid to go against the grain. And generally they did wear outfits that were considered more scandalous because they just wouldn't have been able to um, swim very far. And that's sort of the survival thing at that point. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so I, I do talk about some pretty amazing women. Um, Gertrude Ederly was the first um, woman to swim the English Channel. And at the time she broke the record for men. She was the fastest person to ever cross um, the English Channel. And so um, there were so many trailblazers who really made it possible for us to, to be able to um, play more sports today. I love it. That's awesome. Um, speaking of today, you talked about, it was on your website, I, there was a university that had a women's basketball team in the 18, late 1800s, and I, didn't they like play a season and then they decided, oh, this might be too much for women, and then sports really went away until the 1960s. Yeah, so there were a lot of, um, a lot of colleges that fell into that category in the early, uh, or sorry, in the late 18 hundreds um basketball was invented and women started to play pretty early on it was a modified game but um but they still had had the opportunity to play and so the first intercollegiate basketball game was played between stanford and berkeley and it's it was really popular like the um the venue was sold out. I think there were between 500 and 700 people there by estimates, but only women were allowed to watch because the Berkeley players didn't want to sweat in front of men. Um, but the men, the boys were so interested in seeing what was going on that they were like trying to sneak through the windows and there were women stationed at the windows with sticks to keep them out. So it's just a really uh, fun sort of mental image reading all of these articles about it. And the newspapers covered it heavily at the time. The newspapers in San Francisco had pages and pages of accounts of what their wearing the like embroidery on their uniforms and so it was it was fascinating and and people took it seriously like they thought it was great that women were 
having the opportunity to play. But um, Stanford ends up winning and they go back to campus and there's a parade in their honor, like the marching band comes out and it's a very exciting thing. And then we see Stanford discontinue um, women's varsity athletics until the 1960s. So it took decades after that for women to even have the opportunity to compete on that level again. And I think that's something that people don't realize that it hasn't been that long that women have been allowed to play on a higher level um, for so many of these different sports and activities. Interesting. Did they have a lot of backlash? Like I'm wondering if they won and it was so successful, why would they take that away? Yeah, well, there was this idea that it wasn't, um, it wasn't how women should be spending their time, that they should. Um, Maybe a possible threat, you know, early on threat, as far yeah. as like the dominance between the male, female. Probably. See, yeah. What happens when you learn to play sports, you don't know how to make mashed potatoes. Oh, <laughs> well, that's true of me. I didn't learn. I was probably in my late 20s or early 30s before it I learned all apart. mashed potatoes. <laughs> I was playing too much basketball growing up. So. Um, yeah, but I, I'm trying to remember um, the what they said. I think it was that they felt that it wasn't um, that it was getting in the way. Oh, I remember it was uh, too, came with too high a risk of corrupting the souls of young women uh, playing competitive sports. So they felt the school administrators felt like it was causing unpleasant publicity and they cited health concerns um, and felt that that it just wasn't an appropriate activity but men's sports of course continued so definitely um, interesting. interesting how it could corrupt women and not men and and the women's game too was different it was you couldn't steal the ball you couldn't you weren't supposed to guard nearly as aggressively as in the men's game and women didn't start playing a regular five on five game until the 1970s. So, Interesting. Um, yeah, so it's just, uh, you know, the women who played in that original game went on to be very successful. They were um, doctors and lawyers and were very accomplished young women. And yet they were told that they couldn't achieve what they yeah. knew they could. Well, because they were not competing for husbands anymore, um, but <laughs> right. that's a whole other topic, <laughs> but perhaps, um, but, and that's amazing to realize that Title IX was just in the 60s. The 70s. Which, yeah, 70s, which was not that long ago. Right. Um, so that's pretty amazing. Yeah, I think a lot of people, a lot of girls growing up today don't even necessarily know about it, but it really wasn't that long ago. I mean, my parents and grandparents didn't always grow up with women being, um, you know, sports teams at the high school level. Um, so it, it is interesting to think back to that time and, and how much things have changed since then for the better. Absolutely. You mentioned uh, when we were chatting before the show that you've interviewed, you know, a number of other athletes um, and even some in the local area about their experiences with being a woman athlete. What are some of those stories? I'm curious about what some of the current experiences are like in sports. Yeah, there are 
you know, there are so many different experiences. One of the women I interviewed who lives locally on the east side um, is named Elaine Craig, and she was an early bodybuilder who um, started to lift weights in the 1970s around that time mm -hmm. that um, all of these things are happening. Title IX is getting passed. Women can run the Boston Marathon. The first woman drives in the Indianapolis 500. Powerlifting becomes a sport for women, Olympic lifting. So a lot happened in the 70s. And one of those things was also competitive bodybuilding for women. And Elaine had grown up being a, a runner. She was a flag twirler and she was not interested in lifting weights, but her high school boyfriend was always in the weight room. He was a football player. And if she wanted to spend time with him, that's where he always was. So he put together a routine for her and she didn't think she would like it, but she thought, okay, I'll try it out. Uh, so she tried it out and, and she did, she really liked it. And she kind of put that in her back pocket. And after college, she ended up moving up here to Washington state and from California. And she watched as the sun slowly turned to rain and she realized I'm not gonna run anymore as my hobby. I'm probably gonna need to find something indoors. So she started to go to a gym and lift weights again. And the manager of the gym noticed that she, um, you know, she was talented at it and that she had the potential to be a competitive bodybuilder. So she started to compete and she loved it. She had 16 and a half inch biceps at the time, which wow. is pretty impressive. And uh, she owned a gym with her husband and they would go out and promote it. And she would be wearing the Jane Fonda leotard of the day and, you know, look like any other jazzercise um, woman. And then she'd flex and you would see just how, how built she was. Um, but she, she did get a lot of backlash for that. People thought that was unattractive and it wasn't uh, something that she should be doing, but she loved it so much so that she continues to um, organize bodybuilding shows today as part of Craig um, Productions and has been a long, long time um, advocate for bodybuilding in the area. So she was a lot of fun to chat with. That's awesome. Yeah, see, lots of people blazing their own trails for sure. <laughs> Again, if you're just tuning in, we've got Haley Shapley. <laughs> on the show with us today, the author of Strong Like Her. Um, phenomenal stories of women in fitness and just the history of women in athletics. Um, and it's definitely a great, it's a great read to just realize how far we've come. And if people would like to pick up the book, um, Amazon, they can get it. Where, where can I get the book? Yeah, it's available wherever books are sold. I like to encourage people right now to shop a local bookstore if if you can. Yeah. Third Place Books is a wonderful one um, in Lake Forest Park. They'll they'll send it to you. Um, but any any bookstore or online outlet should have it. That's awesome. What are your some of your other favorite interviews from the book? I had the opportunity to interview Catherine Switzer, who was ran the Boston Marathon with numbers on okay. in 1967. She was the first woman to do so. Meaning she was uh, the first registered female runner? Is that what that means with numbers on? Yes, okay. yeah, it. exactly. But she registered with her initials, KV Switzer, because she wasn't trying to circumvent the system. There was nothing in the rule book that said 
women couldn't enter. And KV was what she used as her uh, byline. She was a sports journalist um, in high school and, and college. And so she started to run and somewhere around the four mile mark, uh, race officials noticed that there was a woman running and they tried to push her off the course and to rip the numbers off the back of her. No and this turned into a really iconic series of photos that I reprint in the book. Um, and she was able to, she was dating uh, this guy at the time who was a, a thrower. He was like 200 and I can't, like 85 pounds or something. Yeah. He just body checks the, the race <laughs> official, he goes flying. Um, and then she was boy. really worried that this guy was hurt. Yeah. And um, she wanted, you know, part of her wanted to quit. She felt so embarrassed and she hadn't meant to make this scene. Um, but she was like, no, I've been training for this. I'm, I'm going to keep going. Uh, and she did, she finished and she became, um, a, a competitive runner and she helped get women the right to run in the Boston marathon officially five years later, she helped, um, get the marathon women's marathon added to the Olympics schedule, which happened in 1984. And she continues today to, help um, girls and women in places where they don't have access to athletics to, to get that access and to be able to reap the benefits that physical activity provides. Um, so she was so much fun to, to speak with because she's an absolute trailblazer. She was a journalist as well. So of course I felt um, a kinship there and um, she has a wonderful memoir as well uh, that I read and, and so it's just, great to um, to get a chance to speak with her. Yeah, I love it. I think, um, and I think it's such a timely thing to have this book out now, especially as, you know, we're all hunkered down at home with everything that's going on. And it's been a big topic of discussion of just how much physical activity impacts mental health and um, how good it is on so many levels, whether it's, you know, a walk or running a marathon or power, you know, there's a whole continuum of physical activity and just how important and helpful that is over and above what it does for your body, just, you know, kind of our whole attitudes and everything else. And to realize that that wasn't, um, like just wasn't part of people's thought processes. I know one of your things on your website, it's like the, there was a gal maybe in Boston who wanted to, to just walk like for every 15 minutes or something like that. And they were pretty sure that was way too taxing for her. Yes, that's Madame Anderson. She was a pedestrian. And in the 1870s, pedestrianism was a very popular sport in the US. And it involved watching people walk for a really long distance, which doesn't sound super exciting now, which is probably why it's no longer America's most popular spectator sport. But she, um, she got her start over in the UK where it was a very popular sport and she wanted to bring it over to the US. And so she, um, she tried to uh, do her her walking match at Madison Square Garden and the owner was like no no woman can accomplish this certainly not you you can't do it here so she had to go to a smaller venue in Brooklyn um, and her goal was to walk 2700 quarter miles in 2700 quarter hours which um, took almost a month and the amazing thing about that is 
there's almost no rest. There's almost no sleep because she would walk the quarter mile, which might take three or four minutes. And then she would have the rest of that 15 minute block to rest. But that was it. When the next 15 minute block started, she was up and walking on the track again. So you're not, you're talking, you know, no more than 10 minutes of sleep at a time for, for a month. Yeah. So that's a weird uh, sport. (laughs) It is a weird sport. You have to be a polyphasic sleeper, which means you can sleep in short chunks instead of like the eight to nine hours a night I need. Um, But what she was really hoping to do was to show women what they were capable of, because at the time, a lot of people didn't think that walking, they thought that was too much strain for women, that they really needed to save their energy for things like childbirth and, um, and raising their children. And they didn't think energy was a renewable resource. So they thought if you squandered it on something trivial, like walking, that you wouldn't have it, um, you wouldn't have it when you really needed it for your wifely and motherly duties. So Ada really wanted to show women that they were capable of so much more than they thought. And they might not want to walk as far as she did, which wasn't that fun at the time because they didn't have great footwear and that's just not super fun (laughs) anyway, but that maybe they could walk around the block, you know, maybe they could get exercise um, on a level that suited them. So she was very inspirational. That's amazing. Um, Yeah, that just, I'm like, couldn't you do a couple in a row and then maybe sleep for a whole hour. <laughs> right. That would have definitely been easier. Um, but I love your point about physical strength and tying into other aspects of our lives, like mental and emotional. And I think we have learned that during the pandemic. And that's one of my main messages in the book is that strength isn't just about how much you can lift or how fast you can run. It's really one aspect of overall well-being, including mental, emotional, and spiritual strength. And we should all have access to that. There shouldn't be any kind of gatekeepers keeping um, women or anyone else out of, out of getting those benefits. Absolutely. Firmly believe that for sure. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today. It's been, um, I love all of your stories. They're just it's amazing. I, stories like this, I think, are inspiring to me and then just blow my mind because they're real stories. <laughs> they're, yes. They seem like things that movies are made of, but this is real life. So we've had Haley Shapley on the show with us today. She is the author of Strong Like Her. You can get it on Amazon, any local bookseller. It is a phenomenal read. Might make a good Christmas gift for somebody as well. If there's somebody on your list that you're not sure who to buy for. Um, definitely worth a read. Phenomenal story. So thank you for joining us today, Haley. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me and happy Thanksgiving. Yeah. You too. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody, whatever that may look like. Um, Good reason season to eat extra pie because nobody knows. Um, (laughs) So have a great week and we will see you next Tuesday. Bye.